Welcome to another edition of Focus on Alternatives, brought to you by ADISA, the Alternative and Direct Investment Securities Association. I'm Damon Elder, publisher of the DIYer.com. Today, I'm joined by Michael Glimpshire from Bentel Green Oak, or BGO. Thanks for joining us, Michael. Thanks so much, Damon. So Bentel Green Oak is a massive global institutional investment player, 80-some-odd billion in assets under management, diversified in all kinds of asset classes. But the asset class I want to talk about today is kind of the redheaded stepchild, I think, compared to the old standards of office and, and retail and whatnot. But historically, it's done great, and that's industrial asset class. I know that's something that BGO also invests in. So let's drill down into industrial. I don't think it gets a lot of attention, and it probably should. So let's start with the basics for our viewers. What exactly constitutes industrial real estate? Great question, Damon. And I'll tell you, you know, we're very committed to industrial BGO. We have about $83 billion of assets under management. Roughly a third of them are in industrial. So it's something we're very committed to. What's industrial real estate? It's a warehouse. It's a logistic building. When you drive by these big buildings on the side of the road and you see trucks moving goods all over the country, that's an industrial building. It's just a big box. So, yeah, I think many of our viewers, lots of people, when they think of industrial, they think of dusty old warehouses, you know, smoke spewing manufacturing facilities. But in recent years, I've started to hear, and I'm sure most folks have heard this as well, modern industrial. So what differentiates the two? What is modern industrial? So you, you, you were talking a little bit about warehouses and warehousing, industrial buildings, as well as manufacturing. There is some manufacturing that goes on within these buildings, but it's generally what we would call light manufacturing. So it's really assembling or putting things together. It's not what we would call historically dirty manufacturing that sort of thing. And modern, what's modern? What do we mean by a modern building? We usually draw a line at the year 2000, but it's not necessarily a year, it's really the attributes that the building has. So what is the column spacing? How tall is it? Typically these buildings used to be only 24 feet high. Now they're about 36 feet high. When you think about it and you think about how things can be stacked and how robotics work today, you could fit 50% more goods and the same footprint of a building. That's a lot more efficient and that makes a lot more sense. And then also, how do you load and unload the building and how do, how do things function from within the building, as well as having a, a white roof, which is much better from a sun absorption standpoint. So, you know, we think about these as modern buildings that are good for today, but are also good for the future. Gotcha. Yeah, I'd assume that the, the requirements of your tenants, industrial tenants, have changed dramatically just in the last 25 years. It's just amazing when you, when you think about what goes on in these buildings. You think about e-commerce, for example. And, ha and how many people want to have their products here onshore. The, the interest in this industrial space has been unbelievably strong because people realize if it's not here, if it's stuck on a boat somewhere and it's not coming over, you can't sell it. And typically from a cost structure standpoint, less than 5% of the cost structure is in their building. So they can afford to have a little more space. And so that makes a lot of sense, but it's, it's not, again, it's not just e-commerce, it's manufacturing, it's distribution, it's, it's movers, it's, it's any, anything you think about. Maybe an easy way to think about it is the clothes you wear, the car you drive, the food you eat, it generally moves through industrial real estate. It, it, in our view, it, it's essential to our economy. Yeah, and I mean, I think everyone obviously was impacted from the pandemic or during the pandemic and even after the pandemic started to die down a bit by the supply chain issues, you know, it was impacting the entire globe, you know. There's no question about it. And I think what a lot of people realize, you know, if you were selling sneakers and you were waiting them for, for them to come from overseas, you weren't selling those same sneakers. I think people realize, I'd rather have another warehouse full of them. The opportunity cost is, is not lost. And, and, you know, you said, what are these buildings? I think a lot of people think they were sitting at home, they were buying things from the cloud. 
well, I don't know about you, but I didn't sit in my cl- in my house and see things come out of a cloud. I saw things come out of a truck that came out of one of these buildings. So everything you ordered online passed through industrial real estate. It really does touch all of our lives, even if we don't know it. So among the institution or the investor class, uh, industrial assets have been very popular for a pretty long time. But again, maybe not widely distributed, but certainly they've, they've had people who have really uh, appreciated the industrial asset class. Um, in recent quarters, you know, obviously there's been some shifting around in the real estate world. It's not, industrial has not been unaffected. Um, I think Cushman and Wakefield just brought out their most recent quarterly update for the third quarter. And it showed that for yet another quarter, industrial uh, vacancy has, has gone up, I think 70 bips uh, to about 4.7% uh, as of the close of the third quarter. So with them, you know, there's been a record amount of new construction in recent years. A lot of those assets are coming to market now. Uh, interest rates are obviously at a 10-year high. Um, what's going on in the industrial space? Is it still a compelling space for investors? Um, what are the long-term headwinds or tailwinds? Well, it's interesting. The last handful of years, it's been the number one performing category within real estate. You look out the next five years, consensus is it will be again. Yes, vacancies ticked up a little bit, but it's very little, and it's the lowest vacancy in any other sector of real estate. So comparatively, it's still the best. What else has happened is you talked about interest rates. Interest rates are up. It's more difficult to get financing. So I think you're going to see this next development cycle, a lot less space coming online. As far as we're concerned, the demand has not come down at all. The demand will continue to increase. The supply will come down because there won't be new space, and that space should get absorbed, and we should get back to normal sort of 3% vacancy or so. Which, I mean, again, any other asset class would probably love 5% vacancy, right? I mean, so, I mean, at 4.7, industrial is still awfully strong. What are the, the trends that are driving this long-term movement and per- high performance for industrial? I think, it, again, it's a lot about these modern buildings. I think some of the older buildings have become obsolete, these shorter buildings, the buildings with lesser column spacing. Buildings, frankly, it's, it may seem very simple, but if you don't have an even floor, the robots don't move very well. And so you need a perfectly poured even floor in, an, in a new building. So I think a lot of people are looking to move into new buildings. But what's interesting is the old buildings are still absorbed because there is not enough supply out there. Over time, we believe the older buildings could become obsolete, and that's why we focus on modern. But so far, they haven't even become obsolete. Gotcha, gotcha. So what are the potential hazards from the industrial space? What, from a macroeconomic perspective, could really impact the space and make it less, you know, um, less attractive from an investor's perspective. You know, if our economy just came to a halt, if people weren't buying things, if if goods were not being moved around the country, uh, if people were, you know, eating less, buying fewer cars, buying less clothing. So if there was a major, major slowdown in the economy, that could affect us. But there's also so many other things, like I said, the light manufacturing, moving. There's other things that happen within these buildings. So you know, a major slowdown in the economy would affect uh, the industry, no question about it. Like every other, like every right? other industry, though. So not not. A- what about labor? I mean, obviously, latest labor labor report just came out. Strong, strong hiring. Uh, we're at a full employment, according to the Economist, three point something percent unemployment. How is the labor market, our current labor market, impacting industrial and the use of the industrial spaces? It's really interesting that you say that because second to transportation costs, labor cost is really the next big expense that people have who operate in industrial, not rent. And when we look at industrial, one of the things we like to study is 
what is, what is the blue collar labor force within that market? What is it? What is that labor force being paid? What is the availability of that labor force? Sometimes it's not even how much you're having to pay, but is there is there availability within the market? And we'll sometimes you'll say you'll see a market where everything's concentrated in one area, and then we bought a little left or a little right of that. Why did we do that? Because we saw there was a better pool of labor, and maybe the people who were driving to get to the other industrial buildings are driving right by the site, and and we can and we can be closer to their home and more likely get that labor force. So. That's a factor we look at very intently with everything that we build as well as everything we buy. So sticking to labor just a second. So you touched on earlier that there's a lot more automation and robotics and things of that nature coming to these modern industrial buildings. How does your analysis of the local labor pool change as a result of that? I mean, is it going from a a different kind of blue collar to maybe more of the gray collar kind of worker? You know, it, it really depends on what industry you're talking about. And Certainly automation has helped. It has it has shrunk our parking down. We, we have fewer people working in a lot of these buildings, but there are still a lot of people working in these buildings. And, and specifically in, in a building that's an industrial building that, say, is different than a data center where there's maybe two people working there. Right. But we, we, we certainly have fewer parks and so or fewer parking within these parks. So that is a factor as well. And I would assume the power needs, that's a, something you got to take into consideration with the modern too. They must be utilizing more power? I mean, has solar become a big part of your analysis? Solar is something that we as a company are, are looking at. It's, we think it's something that can be very important. There's not a better type building. If you think about it, it's a big rectangle. You can put a lot of solar panels on the roof and you can, you can provide power for the building. Obviously, it depends on the legislation. It depends on, it, 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 it's, it's expensive to do solar and we certainly need, we need government help to really make it work. But we think for the future, industrial buildings are maybe one of the best, if not the best category for solar roofs. Like you said, it makes sense. Just big, giant, flat yeah. building, right? Um, so what are some of the unique advantages and on the flip side, disadvantages from an investment perspective when it comes to industrial real estate? You know, industrial buildings, they're, they're, we, we use a term, they're kind of chunky. You know, they're, they're big buildings, they're big investments. So it's, you know, generally you see the institutional investors because they're just so big and the, and the check amount is a lot. Um, that, that's kind of a hard thing from an investment standpoint. You also have, they're, they're kind of like big triple net leases and that, and that's great because all the expenses get passed through, but you do have big leases and you have big exposures to tenants. So you want to ha- you want to have a diversified portfolio. You want to have a number of tenants within your portfolio that, that, that would be something I would consider, um, that, that, that those are things that can be advantages as well as disadvantages. But one thing I really love about industrial is the building that you need for your business and the building I need for my business is generally the same building. That's not the case for an office. It's not a case for your home. It's not a case for a hotel. You know, retail stores, they need very specific things. Generally, it's just a matter of how many square feet do you need, how much clear height do you need, and then the building is the building. And that's something I really like about it in that if we turn over a tenant, the TIs are very low, the tenant improvement dollars are very low because the same building that worked for one company will also work for the next company. Whenever I discuss real estate, real estate investment folks, you know, I always harken back to the age old adage of location, location, location. So what kind of geographic factors do you have to take in mind when you're sourcing an industrial building for investment? We think about proximity to the end user. And, you know, it's not just it's not just where are the people located. Maybe if you're building a hotel or you're running retail, you want to be right where the people are. We want to be in proximity to many people. So we look at what is what are the drive times, what are the road systems, 
What's the access to the road system? Those are the kind of things that you think about all these trucks moving in and out and how do they get there and, and how do they navigate the terrain? That, that's the kind of thing that we think. So I think it's safe to say, based on our discussion, that you're bullish on industrial, short-term, mid-term, long-term. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Okay. So, Michael, obviously, as we discussed earlier, some, some headwinds coming. You seem to think they're short-term. has a lot to do with just a lot of new product is coming to market. That's going to get absorbed. And we'll get back to 97% occupancy nationwide, et cetera, et cetera. So my takeaway is you're bullish on industrial, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. What's so great about industrial? Where are we going? We, we think it's great because it's essential. And, you know, how many offices will people have? We don't know. What is the future? How many, how many hotel stays will people have? We don't know. We do know that our economy is powered through logistics, through industrial, and to get the goods that we need to get the jacket you're wearing, to get the food that you're eating, the car you're driving, we need these buildings. So to me, it's an essential category. Well, Michael, like I said, industrial has been a great asset class for a long time. uh, And I think there probably hasn't been enough attention paid to it. So I want to thank you so much for sharing your insights on industrial real estate. And thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Focus on Alternatives brought to you by Adisa. For more information on alternative investing, always visit adisa.org. And for your daily news on alternatives, of course, visit thediwire.com. Thanks so much. 